As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. show and our weekend review yes we're looking back on a weekend where Real Madrid continued to gather acclaim the atmosphere was far from tame and Antoine Griezmann played an entire game in the Riviera derby things weren't quite as loco as the difference was made by a header from Makoko Arsenal Man City both earned a big dub as Hoang Bin Son hit a hat-trick that was pretty good for a sub. In Italy, Napoli continued to reign and Juventus felt more pain while in Germany, Union Berlin stay at the top as Bayern Munich continue to flop. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who's very proud to see Jordan Peefock tearing it up at the summit of the Bundesliga and looking forward to see what he can do in this international break, right? Taylor Rockwell, he's, he, he's, he's playing this week, right? I mean... That was a phenomenal introduction. The energy was high. The jokes were great. And then you had to make me sad at the end there. Thanks for that, Ryan Bailey, because Jordan Pivak, not in the U.S. squad, is scoring goals, is near the top of the Bundesliga or at the top of the Bundesliga. Uh, a fun way to start the Monday is Ryan Bailey rhyming and then slamming my national team at the same time. To, uh, to embrace my inner Seinfeld, what's the deal with Jordan Peefock not being in this international roster, Taylor? I don't know. I suspect that that will be a question that Greg Berhalter is asked several times during this camp. Indeed, we shall get to that shortly. But in the meantime, Taylor, joining us is a man who had a pie at a soccer game this week, so he's very, very content today. Graham Rutherford, tell us all about the bougie, middle-class-looking pastry that you posted on Twitter, please. Oh, it was good. It was very good. And I, I, I phoned ahead to ask what the speciality pie was going to be. So I knew not to have too big a lunch before I went to the football. They told me it was going to be a shredded chili chicken with honey and peppercorn sauce pie and it was incredible it was so good slightly disappointed i thought the deal with footy scran following me now is that i don't have to tag them in my tweets they just automatically pick them up but it didn't get retweeted by footy scran so i need i need to get a better picture i'm going to bring a little plastic knife to cut the pie in half next time so you can see the filling and then hopefully footy scran will, will pick it up uh rewind a second graham did you say you got a heads up as to what pie was coming before you arrived at the stadium have you got like a a pie spy a pie spy. <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, this is entirely too, uh, entirely true. I did phone about other things to, related to my season ticket, but I also did ask what 
the speciality pie because there's always a pie of the week for every home game the caterers this season at Albion are much better than they have been in the past and so the last one I had was I think steak and black pudding and it was very good so I decided to ask to uh, prepare prepare my stomach very good feeling good still today yes absolutely and we won 4-1 what a day oh what a day wonderful to hear well I love that the 4-1 win is the very last thing mentioned. <laughs> Four minutes on pies, <laughs> 10 seconds on. Oh, yeah, and we won. It's good. Uh. <laughs> Supporting a team that win games must be nice, Graham. I haven't experienced it in hey, we, a We might actually be quite good. We've got this kid on loan from Dundee United called Kai Fotheringham, who is so much better than ev- everyone else on the pitch. He scored twice at the weekend and really could change our season. So, Ryan, I think you need a Kai Fotheringham in your team. Don't we all, Graham? Don't we all? Well, there are many Kai Fotheringhams in the teams, proverbially, we're talking about on this weekend review. Lots to talk about on this edition. Before we get to the action, uh, guys, I don't know if you caught this one. Marseille were held to a 1-1 home draw by Rennes this weekend. Matteo Genduzzi uh, scored both the goals within seven minutes at both ends. Uh, the game was delayed, however, in the 85th minute. Can either of you take a guess as to why? Graham. I don't think I know this. I don't think I saw this game. And Marseille are a team that I, I generally have a little bit of a, a fancy for. But no, I don't. I, I couldn't I couldn't even begin to, to guess. Did, did Ganduzi get his hair pulled Cucurella <laughs> style or something like that? Uh, Taylor, um, Graham has filled enough for you to have Googled while I was asking him. What, have you got it? <laughs> uh, I have not uh, Googled that. I was Googling something else, in fact, because I'm just going to go with the standard answer of late of did someone use the bathroom at an inopportune moment? It's less gross than that this week okay, uh, for my surprise uh, item at the top of the show. It was a flock of pigeons. A flock of pigeons landed on the field in the 85th minute and they had to stop the game. I've never heard of such a thing. Pigeons stopping French is that, games. Is that a flock of seagulls cover band or is that like a spinoff band or is that an actual flock of pigeons? Maybe the Genduzi hairstyle is the flock of pigeons hairstyle. <laughs> Tete. Maybe that's I'm, it. I'm into that now. Let's make that happen. Mateo <laughs> Genduzi fronts a band. Everyone has the same hair. Never mind. This is getting gimmicky really fast. But uh, I, I would love him to be in an 80s uh, synth pop, I guess they are. Let's, let's go that route. Let's get Mateo Genduzi playing in a band and then also playing on the pitch for Marseille. Indeed, indeed. I think I've only heard of uh, Flock of Pigeons because they're quoted by um, Samuel Jackson's character in Pop Fiction. Tete. Flock of seagulls? Yeah, I believe so. When before, oh, he, yeah, um, the guy's—he's got the haircut. Yeah, because yeah. they had that weird swoop thing that looks like a uh, crashing wave on top of the head. But they've got uh, Iran, like and Iran. That that song from the '80s that I just didn't sing well at all. You've heard it. It's in every <laughs> like every '80s movie where someone is doing cocaine. They're playing that song in the background. That's I, how it is, works. is that about the team in our World Cup group? Do you mean? Is it that one? <laughs> That's the one. That's okay. it. You got it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even gonna touch that one with a. Uh, many foot long stick of, uh, of referencing Iran and drug use. Uh, we're going to just keep moving from that. Very well. Wise idea, Tater. The fire truck of lawyers is not in sight presently. I feel like uh, lawyers would be the best outcome when it comes to that conversation. <laughs> Indeed. Plenty to talk about from this weekend. As I say, we had a big derby in Madrid. We had a big derby in the Bundesliga, in the Revere region, the Rhone region, I should say. We had some big, big games in Serie A as well. Um, most of the Premier League games took place. We can talk about them too. Why don't we we start in Madrid, though, with the Madrid derby. Atletico Madrid 1, Real Madrid 2 at the Wondonara Stadium. We love it so much there. Madrid, Real Madrid, 
they don't have a, always have a great time there, but they took three points in this one. Uh, Rodrigo um, getting a great first-time finish from a too many assist for the opener. Valverde uh, knocking in a Rodrigo rebound for the second. And then Mr. Hermoso shouldering one in. He totally meant it uh, for the consolation Atleti gold. And he was sent off not long after. Graham, the opening thoughts on this game. Quite aggressive, quite passionate, some housery here and there. Pretty much what we expected. By the way, that Hermoso appearance is the is the classic yep. Diego Simeone cameo where he comes on, he scores a goal from a set piece, and then he gets sent off. That is ticking every single box for Diego Simeone and, and sums up basically what he wants from his players. And Hermoso scores, as Ryan said, like scores the goal off of his shoulder, so didn't quite mean to do that, then gets a red card for a shove that wasn't really a shove. So it was like a goal he didn't quite mean and a red card he didn't quite deserve. An odd game for Hermoso. Can I ask, I, don't, I know I don't often understand the rules of soccer, but is that not handball when it basically hits the top of his arm and goes in? The commentator said as long as it's above the, the, the sleeve T-shirt. line, which is yeah. an interesting one because I feel like if you're wearing long sleeves, that becomes <laughs> yeah, a, its yeah. own conversation. But yeah, I guess it's like from that part that is it's harder to manipulate. Like you're, I, think, I just think of it as like maybe right around your elbow and below, you're fine. Don't like yeah. it. De- depends how long your arms are, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, and what, are those, uh, what about those sleeveless shirts that we talked about in our recent Soccer 101 episode? How would that work? That just means everything is handball. There, yeah. there are some. There's a player in Scotland, in Scotland, James Forrest. He runs with his sleeves. He wears long sleeve shirts, and he runs with the sleeves like over his hands. He can never commit a handball. He can just punch the ball into the back of the net if he wants. <laughs> anyway, Graham, I think I asked you about the game itself, um, and it's and it's passion, the passion in the stadium. Uh, there were some unfortunate incidents that preceded it. Atletico Ultras were pictured with a racist doll outside the yeah. stadium, and there were racist chants. Uh, towards Vinicius Jr. before the game, and you could actually hear some on the broadcast as well. So um, not all rosy, of course, at the Wonder Metropolitano, but um, should we confine our discussion to the action on the field, Graham? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think we should mention just that the build-up to this game was quite toxic with all the, the Vinicius Jr. stuff. So that was um, quite premeditated. There had been a comment from a, a prominent agent in, in Spain about Vinicius, uh, his, how he likes to dance when he celebrates a, a, a goal. And so I very much enjoyed Vinicius and, and Rodrigo dancing together <laughs> to celebrate that that first Real Madrid goal in, in the derby. But as you say, before kickoff, some, some really nasty scenes outside the stadium, racist chanting and, and um, racism is obviously a problem in, in lots of leagues and, and countries. I think, unfortunately, we'll have another talking point about this later in, in, in the podcast. But La Liga seems to have a particular problem and some serious punishments need to be handed out here. Um, not that I have any faith that that will actually happen. But in terms of the game itself, it was um, it was relatively entertaining. I always felt like Real Madrid were going to get three points. That's six wins out of six for Real Madrid in La Liga, nine, at La Liga now nine wins out of nine in all competitions so things are going pretty well for them at the start of the season and this was a, a demonstration of what they're so they're so good at at the moment um Atletico Madrid actually start this game on top they were the ones having the majority of the ball they had a chance through Felipe a, a long shot from Condogbia which was pretty close but then Real Madrid were solid and they just picked off Atleti in, uh, in quick transition and with uh, Vinicius and um, Valverde and Rodrigo, they have players, and Chuamani as well, who I thought was 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 brilliant. And he he was one of the players who facilitated those attacks in quick transition. And it's amazing how important he's become to Real Madrid in a very short space of time. Obviously, Real Madrid were 
already one of the best quick transition teams in European football, but they have fully leaned into this identity by signing Chiumeni. Casemiro obviously leaves in, in the summer, and just the way he carries the ball, the way he usually makes the right decision when he gets into the final third, his pass for the Rodrigo opener, it's like a kind of chipped pass over the top of the Atletico Madrid defence, was, was incredible. And then you factor in, you have Vinicius on one side, you have Valverde on the other, and then, and then in this game you have Rodrigo as well through the middle with Benzema missing. This Real Madrid team are just a force of nature when they get going. And so Atletico Madrid, in a sense, played into their hands a little bit by allowing them to have so many moments of transition. Taylor, is there any team in Europe or perhaps the world that knows what they're doing as much as Real Madrid? Do you know what I mean? I don't, actually. Can you explain? Well, I mean, in terms of their recruitment, in terms of getting someone like too many in the middle, in terms of the way the pieces fit together, in terms of the way they... They're almost quietly going about their business and just dominating... We, I think we had this conversation last week about them, that there's suddenly a, for this like behemoth club with all of the money, with their connections to General Franco historically, they are a likable team at present. I think that starts, well, maybe not it starts with, but Carlo Ancelotti is a big part of that. I think he is a very uh, avuncular, friendly sort of manager, at least from the outside looking in. But I think he also creates a very convivial atmosphere. But then the squad itself, yeah, you're right. It's It's dynamic it is attacking but it can be defensive when it needs to be it's technical but it can be physical it can get stuck in but it can also keep the ball moving I think they just have a huge amount of variety to the way they want to play but there is also within that a deliberate like building of the squad improving of the squad the Casemiro deal makes so much sense especially when you have Chuamini come in and do things that Casemiro is excellent and I'm sure he's capable of but I don't remember him doing nearly as well or as consistently as Chiuamini seems to be doing when it comes to facilitating attacking play. So, yeah, it's it's a strange thing to see a, a Real Madrid team that aren't quite Galactico. Certainly they have Galactico names in there, and they have Galactico names sitting on the bench, like Aiden Hazard. But uh, the, the way they've gone about sort of developing players, spending money to then uh, like keep them with the squad and let them develop over time, Vin- Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo, like chief amongst those names. It's just, it's wild to see how harmonious that team can be. And I think in this game, also very much a rivalry game in the way that those old classical games were when you had Messi and Ronaldo playing, that there was just a, a very tense atmosphere, a very like palpable dislike between the two, which you don't always get in the modern game. And I think you could then see that in the way Madrid celebrated, not just as a team, but with some of the dancing, with the way Vinicius Jr., before that ball goes in for the opening goal, was just all over the place, running everywhere. He so clearly wanted to be involved in a goal, wanted to create something. And when that goes in for Rodrigo, the pure joy and maybe also fury that, that, that he releases with his celebratory scream was uh was pretty impactful as well so i found this to be a really interesting game from start yeah. to finish the red card definitely capping that one off real madrid just kind of know what they are yep. as a team so when for the first 50 minutes of this game atletico madrid's are as i said on top they're having the majority of the ball they seem to be the ones pressing for the opener and real madrid just have such self-assurance and confidence there's no panic they kind of you can see them all thinking to themselves this is what we do this is we're going to get opportunities on the on on the counter and quick transition and we're probably going to score them and then you flip that to atletico madrid where when they're in that sort of situation, and there, there were moments in this game where Real Madrid are the ones that have the ball in the opposition half and they're pressing 
for a, a way through a low defensive block. And Atletico Madrid never really looked comfortable in that scenario. And re- Atletico Madrid just, they don't really seem to know what they are at this at this moment in time. I think you could look at all areas of, of their team right now from the defence, which feels very on Atletico Madrid. Axel Witzel plays in central defence in this game. And I understand why he plays there. It's, he's there to try and get Atletico Madrid out from the back. But this Atletico Madrid defence doesn't feel as strong. It doesn't have that fight that it's had in previous years. Then the midfield feels a little bit muddled as well. Are they there to control a game? There's not much creativity there. Okay, De- Rodrigo De Paul is good at delivering a set piece or uh, kind of playing a long diagonal pass. But in terms of guile, there's not much there. And then in the attack, I thought Griezmann, who's actually been in pretty good form coming off the bench this season, I thought, okay, this is an opportunity to see what he can do from the start. I, th- I didn't really think he offered much. There's not really the relationship with Yao Felix. And I would suggest that's because Simeone keeps chopping and changing his attack you know they've got so many attackers Cunha comes on Marata comes on there's not really much time for any relationships to be established and I think that's a problem throughout this Atletico Madrid team and then as I say you look at Real Madrid and they're just the the, the mirror image of that or yeah. sorry the flip the flip image of that yeah and with the Griezmann, the Griezmann thing excuse me he, he played the whole game here um there are suggestions that there's been an agreement which with Barcelona that he can play longer than half an hour now I'm not quite sure how that it seems like they've made them yeah. cave a little bit on that I think the uh, the TSS fire truck lawyers were doing some moonlighting and I think they've been drafted <laughs> in by Barcelona Atletico Madrid to figure out some sort of solution there so we'll see what happens after the international break and whether he whether that was just a one-off game yeah. sort of thing or whether actually something has been agreed the, the situation was when was unsustainable in that Barcelona Atletico Madrid and Griezmann all lost out of it so it would be sensible if a compromise was reached yeah we get these uh these caffeinated energy bars in the mail which sounds less legit than it is but they're like uh granola bars that have caffeine they're the equivalent of drinking like a shot of espresso uh and we we get them in, in sort of bulk and then as as they sort of the stock dwindles we become a little bit more selective about when we eat them when we use them and it feels a little bit like that's what atleti are doing presently is like well we can start them in six more games before we have to trigger that one so they like looked at the calendar and figured out the six games that they definitely want him to start and aside from those they're really rationing their supply maybe it's that maybe they have agreed maybe the the fire truck of lawyers were out working overtime uh yeah. could be that as well but either way nice to see antoine griezmann and his blonde hair in there i feel like he influenced Thibaut Courtois also having a little bit of sun in going on in his hair. He, is, he had the later style too. Sun in. <laughs> Good is it blonde or is it like subtly green? There's something going There's on something, with Griezmann's yeah. hair. Graham, you are the hair bleach green, I think, as well. Yeah. Graham, you tell yeah. us. You're the, well, you're maybe the, you're I the body add some, now. Maybe I should add some green tinge to, to my hair. Maybe that's what's coming next. It's like Liz Lemon from 30 Rock. You have witch undertones. Is that what yeah. it is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Well, who, who knows? It's good to see him play a full game, as we say. Uh, maybe Atleti just said, Barcelona, you're not in a position to negotiate because you have no money. You can have this small amount of money. I imagine that's something like that happened. Uh, one final note on this game I wanted to bring up. Taylor, you mentioned Vinicius uh, being quite dynamic and being all over the place. I thought mm-hmm. the front line was really dynamic. We didn't have Karim Benzema, of course, in this game. But with uh, particularly Fede Valverde on the other side, he seemed like he was all over the shop as well, in a very good way, in uh, covering a lot of ground. And that was, I believe, his third game in a row in which he scored. It's it's just a really good front line that Real Madrid have as well, which sounds, sounds trite to say, but it, it's true. It, it is true, but it's, it's a front line, and it's what we were kind of already talking about. It's a front line that isn't historically what we've seen from Madrid, where it's these huge names that were bought and brought in, and they've been there for a year or, one, or two years or a half a season or whatever it may be. 
this is a front line that's been with Real Madrid for a long time. There are plenty of caps between the three of them. And I think with that comes a level of chemistry and consistency so that they know how to play off each other. Even if you don't have a central figure like Karim Benzema there, I think there's enough of a relationship, enough of a rapport to know how to continue to function as an efficient attacking unit. You look at uh, Bayern Munich in contrast, and we'll look at them uh, in more detail in a little bit. I think some of that sort of chopping and changing has had that big impact. It's why I think they've struggled without Robert Lewandowski. Coming around to the idea that he is quite an important goal scorer and maybe played a big part in why Bayern were so good for so long. Indeed. Well, as Graham mentioned, uh, Real Madrid are six from six, top of La Liga. In second place, Graham, Barcelona, of course. They had a 3-0 win over Elche this weekend. The aforementioned Robert Lewandowski gaining a brace there, uh, and Memphis Depay getting in on the action too. Elche not helping themselves by going down to 10 men either, Graham. No, and uh, we're in the middle of September and Robert Lewandowski is already in double figures for goals this season, which in any other season where Erling Haaland, the goal bot, isn't scoring two goals a game would be incredibly (laughs) impressive, and it still is very impressive. But going on the back of what Taylor was just saying there, it, it, it adds to the impression that we have of Robert Lewandowski, and you can plug and play him in pretty much any team, and he's just added so much to this Barcelona side in terms of uh, cutting edge and this was a, a dominant performance by Barcelona as you say Ryan they were helped by that red card to, to Verdu after just 14 minutes so that is a long game for Elche to, to, to play with with 10 men and Barcelona made the most of that man, man advantage certainly before half time where they were 3-0 up and obviously Lewandowski grabs the headlines with his two goals but last week we spoke about Barcelona's weaknesses in the fullback areas and I still think that's a valid talking point and they maybe are weaker in that area of the pitch than other areas but Alex Balde gets two assists in from left back in this game and he is a very promising player he seems to be Xavi's first choice left back at the moment he's certainly mobile he offers a lot in an attacking sense so last week and after the Champions League games I said one of my biggest concerns about Marcus Alonso was just his lack of mobility Balde doesn't have that problem he is still a little bit raw in some of his defensive decisions but he's young and I have I've liked what I've seen of him this season and there's still a question about who plays ahead of him on that left side because obviously Ansu Fati is the long-term solution but Xavi is, is, is being careful not to rush him back from injury too soon. Memphis Depay starts this match. He scores in this game. Gavi has played there before. Ferran Torres can play there. Um, everywhere else in the pitch, it feels like Xavi has settled on players. But that left wing is still up for grabs. But from what I've seen in this game and in other games he's played this season, Baldi has poten- potential. And I, and I want to see who, who earns that place ahead of him on the left side. I think it'll be Ansu Fati, but his injury record is a bit of a, of a concern. Graham, I have a genuine question that is going to sound like a leading question. Like, okay. Overall, do, do you find Barcelona to be a functional team or a dysfunctional team? Because they are scoring, they are winning. I mm. am really having a difficult time shaking the feeling that they are going to implode. And I'm not just saying that because I have a, a bias against Barcelona. I don't think I do. Uh, I'm saying it because there just seems to be so many sideshow issues to this club. A lot of it obviously relating to financial concerns. It's honestly the way I feel like we used to talk about Real Madrid when Barcelona had their academy humming and they were playing so well and it was tiki-taka and then there's this Madrid team that keeps bringing in stars and hoping it works. That's what it feels like Barca have done this season. And it's so far working, but uh, right before we started recording, I saw a tweet. I don't know uh, if it is like 100% true, uh, but it was about Gerard Piquet uh, was heard complaining 
about his playing time before this game. Xavi heard it and reportedly told him, and now you're going to play even less. Uh, and that sort of moment of like this club legend who's won so much, been so important to this team, but seems to be very much on the outs with the manager. Maybe that's a normal falling out, but it, it feels like there have been plenty of those this offseason, and it makes it hard for me to fully understand who or what this Barcelona team is. Yeah, there was also a quote from Gerard Piquet where he said, I'm going to retire at Barcelona, but it's not going to be on the bench, which you could read in a couple different ways. So one one way you could read that is, oh, he's going to, he, he, he backs himself to get back into the starting lineup. The other side of that is, does he think he's going to outlast Xavi Hernandez? And, it, and it's strange that that has become such a, a fractured relationship because, of course, they, they played in the same team together. And obviously, I, I don't have an insight into what that dressing room was like, but it's unusual that you get two players that achieved so much together in the same team for the same club and also who are kind of these these icons of yep. Barcelona. You know, they're they're both very much seen as the embodiment of that club as players or, or Xavi was seen as that as a player. So it's it's unusual. And, and you're right, there are certain factors around Barcelona that suggest that this is still going to end up in a bit of a mess. Whether they're a functional or dysfunctional team, I can't answer that because I, I, I look at the team and I see functional parts of their team. So I think the midfield is very good. I think Busquets, is, he's been kind of revitalised a little bit over the last uh, year. Even someone like Frankie de Jong, we're seeing him play better and offer something. Then you've got Pedri, you've got Gavi. We really we haven't really seen Frank Kessier do much yet, but he's he's an option. And then I think that that relationship between Dembele and Lewandowski is really good. I think the defence is a weakness, so the fullback areas. Kunde is a great player. Playing him at right back just seems like a waste to me. I understand what Joe was saying about him in possession and and bringing the ball into midfield, but I think you want someone that helps to stretch the pitch on that right side. And then Araujo's a, a solid defender, but I've got big questions over Eric Garcia and their relationship seems to be not great. So I think there are the there, you could look at this as... Xavi keeps talking about this as a process and uh, Juan Laporta keeps on kind of saying, no, it's not a process. We're going to win everything this season. And I think Xavi is probably wiser to think of this as a process because that you can look at that team and there's still a number of areas where they could get better. All right. Taylor, thank you for the leading question, which you didn't disguise in any way. There. That was good. <laughs> well, no, um, it's, it, it really is just, I know how like sensitive supporters of, their club can be when it comes to questions like that. I listened to Football Weekly today, and they began by talking about how Tottenham won 6-2, but like, are Tottenham even good? I don't think they're that good. And that felt very, like I could just imagine Spurs fans immediately switching that off or just like punching a dashboard. And I'm not trying to do that, but I basically I watched this Barca team, and they're very good. They have individual players. They seem to play with a good collective spirit at present. But all of these sideshow front office stories, it makes it hard for me to truly back them as like, yep, they're a team that are going to win things and be very good. I kind of keep waiting for the other shoe to fall. But at a certain point, it's not going to fall. And so I, I think I, I trust Graham to be a bit more neutral in these things. I, I think we're going to have a title race in La Liga this season. I just think it's going to be Real Madrid that'll win it because I look through their team and they just seem to be a lot more established. But that's natural. As you said, Taylor, this is, this is a Real Madrid team that's been together for years and this Barcelona team has been thrown together in the space of, what, nine months? So that's that's to be expected. They are a good team, but unfortunately for them, Real Madrid is kind of the benchmark and I still put them below Real Madrid right now. Don't tell Barcelona's creditors that, Graham. That's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's go to Serie A. We're also going to go of course to the Bundesliga and the Premier League and much more back shortly 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let's turn our attention to Calcio for a moment. Plenty of crazy results from Italy this weekend. Why don't we start off? Uh, At the San Siro, Milan won Napoli 2. Napoli remain undefeated. They're uh, on a run of five games, uh, five victories in all competitions now. Uh, Oli Giroud, Graham, getting uh, getting a goal once again, proving very valuable for Milan, but not valuable enough. Uh, Matteo Palatano with the penalty and Giovanni Simeone with the goals for Napoli taking on the three points. Uh, Where do we start with this one, Graham? How about Sergio Dest uh, on at halftime? Had a great game? (laughs) Yeah. Um, what what constitutes a great game? Because uh, I feel like conceding a penalty just six minutes after he's come off the bench might might uh, be a blot on his copybook. We had a lovely time though, Graham. He did, and we all did watching this game because yeah. it's very entertaining in the second half, at least. And actually, I thought Des coming on um, actually contributed to a more open game in the second half. So he he does concede that penalty um, six minutes. After coming off the bench, it's a clumsy tackle. He goes through the player as, win- as well as winning the ball. Actually, when I when I first saw it, I didn't think it was going to be a penalty. It wasn't until the replay and they went to the, to uh, VAR that it became clear that it, it was a foul in the box. But he, um, the idea was that he would get forward more willingly than Calabria, who is a very defence-minded right-back for AC Milan, and that in turn, in turn pushed uh, Junior Messias further up the pitch and helped get support to Giroud. Um, and the flip side of that was that Napoli then had more space to exploit on the break and to get in behind. And the first half was a bit cagey at times, but the second half was a whirlwind. And I think Des being on the uh, on the pitch was a factor in that. Whether that constitutes a great game for him, I'm not hmm. too sure. But it was, I know he concedes a penalty in this game, but nonetheless, it was good to see him play in such a big game for his for his new team. And I think he will get better and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he is the first choice right back after we come back from the international break. I'm coming flying in from the top rope with my red, white, and blue uh, chair and glasses (laughs) to then add. uh, I think it's worth noting that prior to Dest subbing on, or maybe the reason why Dest subs on, in addition to being attacking, is that in the 18th minute, uh, Kyer gets a yellow card for crushing Quartzgalia. In the 45th minute, Calabria gets a yellow card for crushing Quartzgalia. And both of them, I think, subbed off maybe for the attacking uh, output, as you said, Graham, but also because they're both on yellows and it didn't seem like Quartzgalia was going to slow down or stop going at them. So Dest comes on and clatters Quartzgalia, or I guess gets the contact there. Clatters is maybe too harsh, but it is a justifiable, justifiable penalty. It was not a very good moment. It is worth noting in my mind that two other players had already sort of been embarrassed by him. I, I think that then kind of makes it worse, though, that Dest is sent on probably with a mandate of, hey, 
don't do anything dumb against him. He's very good. And six minutes later, he concedes a penalty. But I, I think with the other players doing what they did as well, it sort of makes it more so par for the course. So uh, I'm less down on him than I otherwise might be. And I like your idea, Graham, that he might end up being the starter. I would be fine with that. Yeah, you're, you're, um, the, the, when you're talking about Des being sent on there and told not to yeah. foul uh, Cavara-Scalia, it reminds me of that Joseph Mourinho t- tale about Mario Balotelli, where at halftime, I think Balotelli's on a on a yellow card. And I can't remember, it must have been uh, at Inter Milan. And Mourinho's like to him, Mario, whatever you do, like stay away from trouble. Like don't go into tackles. We can't afford to go down to 10 men. And he basically spends like the whole halftime t- talking to Balotelli about don't get that second yellow card. And then like two minutes into the second, ha- uh, second half, Balotelli has been shown a yellow- another yellow card and he's been sent off. It kind of reminds me of that with Sergino Dest, where he was sent yeah. on with the with the primary purpose of not getting too close to uh, Cavaradona and not fouling him. And within six minutes, he's given away a penalty. <laughs> there's that, there's that like instruction idea that when you say don't do a thing the brain only hears do the thing like it, like if it's like don't fail all it hears is fail and so all, i'm imagining in that halftime talk it's like don't get stuck in don't go into rash challenges don't do anything silly and balotelli's just internalizing that as like okay silly things rash challenges got it got a boss i hear you and it, you gotta imagine you're walking away from that like i don't know if he took away what i was hoping he would take away and then a couple <laughs> minutes later knew for sure that he did not <laughs> uh no rafael Lau in this one graham uh serving suspension is this a different game if he's involved i suspect it might be in terms of the output yes of course because he's a he's a goal scorer and um ac milan didn't really have anyone i mean obviously Giroud finishes the chance well from teo hernandez but i think teo hernandez was actually he, he was a big reason why AC Milan were were able to get forward and how he carried AC Milan into the box in the way that Leao normally does. And of course, this is this is part of Teo's natural game, but there was an extra energy to his desire to get into dangerous areas, as shown in the in the equaliser where he burst to the byline. And then I love just the little delay that he has before sending the ball into the box, because most players would just aimlessly send that that cross into the middle but he just delays that little split second and picks out Giroud who's pulled pulled back from his marker and it's a nice finish from Giroud as well but I think um I think Teo was still the guy conducting attacks for AC Milan so yes Rafael Leao makes a difference but maybe not as big a difference as you might think uh, Taylor, one last one from me on this game. Mm-hmm. Napoli, good at the soccers at the moment, but it is still September. It's early in the season. We can't be calling them... It's not in the bag yet, is it? This this title race nope. by any means, is it? Title race over. We may as well just decide oh, it right good. now. I think oh. it's safe to say in September, Napoli have have got it locked up. Great. No, that might be slightly premature, but this this does feel similar to I almost made this comparison earlier about a different team and then I had to shelve it for now again it reminds me of Leicester winning the title where it just kept being like ah I don't know I don't think this is going to be the one I don't think this is going to be the one and then slowly they just keep picking up results and I think historically Napoli if not shoot themselves in the foot just have these erratic runs where things go off the rails and they're not able to sustain the form that you need long term to make that title challenge uh Extending that further, uh, hearing Juve talk about how their kind of plan is to be within touching distance of the title race, of the top four race, before the World Cup. And then afterwards, that's when things will settle out and they'll be good to go. I think Napoli are doing everything they can to not let that be the case. So too are Atalanta. But in this game for Napoli to get the results away to Milan, 
And it's a Napoli team that uh, we've talked about it previously, had all the change in the offseason, have new faces, but are finding a way to get their kind of star players to play as stars, their new players to play as stars, and their squad players to play as effective squad players. They've got a lot to like about them. That doesn't mean they've got it sewed up, as you said, Ryan, but it, it's this result combined with the way they have started the season, combined with how lethal they have looked at times. You've got to be feeling very optimistic if you are a Napoli fan, coupled with the way yeah. some of the other juggernauts in Syria are maybe not looking quite so juggernaut these days. Yeah, and, and that the, one of the big positives after this game is that one of their best players, arguably their best player, is currently injured at the moment, Victor Osiman. Raspadori starts up front and then Simeone comes off the bench and, and scores the winner. And you'll c- cast your mind back to last season when Napoli also started like a, a runaway train, but then Osiman gets injured and things were derailed a little bit. So it's 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 definitely progress that they now look to be a stronger team than they were this time last year, which is not something I saw coming, given how many key players left. Um, and they're, as you say, Taylor, they're just, there's so much to like about them at the moment. They play entertaining football. They're relentless. They have young players you hadn't heard of until this season. They have other players who have stepped up after the summer. They've got attacking fullbacks. They've got a good defence, they've got a midfield that offers kind of everything I look for in a midfield, protection and drive and creativity. They've got wingers who can go either way and they've got decent depth if they lose one or two players with Raspadori and, and, and Simeone, as I say, coming in for Osiman. So there's def- it definitely feels like they're building something special and I, um, I'll, I'll put myself out there. I would very much like to see them win the Scudetto this year. It feels like they've come close in the last 10 years a couple of times and I, I, I want to see them get over the line. I wouldn't mind it as well, Graham, but some of their squad numbers are too high. Anguisa, 99. Yeah. Undombele, 91. No, no, it's not for me. I think they should not get it on those grounds. Thank you very much. Yeah, Cavaraskelia, I think, is what's he, seven, 70 like 77, 77 or 71 yeah. or something like that? Yeah. 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 That dog ain't going to hunt for me, Graham. Uh, but uh, Taylor, you mentioned um, some juggernauts not being so juggernauty. Why don't we turn our attention to Monza? who got a 1-0 win yeah, over the Juventus boy. this weekend. Monza racing to their first Serie A win of the season. Great. See what we did there. Racing. Racing. See Monza. See did there, yep. Yeah. Yep. Even more pressure on Max Allegri after this one, of course. He wasn't on the bench for this one after being sent off last week. Juve winless in five. They've had three defeats in those five. Um, Angel Di Maria not helping things by getting sent off in this one either. Um... Uh, according to Fabrizio Romano, Juventus CEO Maurizio Arrivebene mm. said uh, it would be completely crazy to sack Allegri right now. Allegri has sure. a project here at Juventus to be developed in the next four years. We have a long-term project here. I'm involved too as a CEO. Ha boy, that's the kiss of death if you've ever heard one. Um, and of course, uh, Arrivebene was, Graham, as you may remember, the team principal at Ferrari Scuderia in F1. Um, which is, So there's an irony in him getting beaten in Monza, but also... He's kind of accused of not doing a wonderful job there, and now no. he's touting this stuff here. No. Wait, say more. Yeah. Say more. I want to. I want to know more. That's basically so, it. He, he's basically accused of running Ferrari Scuderia into the ground, and, yeah. and now Juventus are having the same thing. Yeah, happen. and 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 Ferrari in F1 terms are like the most revered, romantic, like dominant team in F1 history. Certainly, recently, recent history. And um, you mean out, out of a more so out, than Chevy. Slightly. Say it again? Slightly. Is it more so than Chevy? I have a hard time believing that. So. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Slightly more romance around uh, Ferrari, Ferrari than Chevrolet, I would say. But Can't yeah, take his, Ferrari uh, to the Ryan, Ryan, Can you, Graham? It's not in any songs. Ryan, Ryan's right, though. His, his biggest kind of legacy at Ferrari was just destroying that brand and that team to the <laughs> point where they, it feels like they 
can't win now and they just can't get back to the top. So it's very interesting that he was given the Juventus job. <laughs> yeah, not so hot. Um, so, so, I mean, yeah. what, Taylor, any idea what's happened at Juventus? Obviously, they're not winning games. Is it, you know, the lack of uh, world's worst human Chiellini and Dybala? Maybe there's a bit less leadership on the field. It seems that um, Allegri's point is not getting across to this team anymore. I mean, I think it, it, it's, it's... What a was his point? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's also a fair question. I mean, I, I think with Allegri starting there, uh, that, that quote, I do sort of believe it that they're not looking to sack him. I think there are other reasons for that. Uh, they're expected to post losses of more than 240 million euros in 2022. Uh, they also just have a, they had a uh, four-year contract with Allegri. So I think that makes him the second highest earner in the league. So I think those two things combined mean that they are maybe less inclined to sack somebody and have to pay them out and then bring somebody else in and pay them a lot of money. So I think they're hoping to stick with it and see what happens. But it's also a Juve team that don't have Paul Pogba. They don't have Chiesa. Those are two Big absences that I think were expected to make them better, Pogba especially, uh, but due to injury, isn't able to play yet. Chiesa is still recovering from injury. Um, I think, yeah, some of the center back turnover, it's a, it's a newish team. They don't have the consistency there. The midfield, I think, similarly, they're not quite sure, I think, what the best midfield approach is to get the best out of the team but still have some attacking intent. I don't know if that all relates to Dybala because he also wasn't always the kind of main man at that club, much to his chagrin and maybe a few other people's too. So it, it just seems like it's a Juve team that are, are a little bit stuck, a little bit unsure of how to get out of that sticky situation, have the personnel to be able to do so, but then have veterans like Angel Di Maria who picks up a red card inside the first half and that goes a long way towards explaining this lack of a result any opportunity to slam on healthy maria i will take um so it just feels like it is just a negative time at juve you can sort of see that in the team in the lack of fighting spirit even when they get like goals to go ahead there isn't that feeling of like well that's it now they're just going to grind out this win or get a few more it feels like eh, they could still be got at they could still be pride open and and thus far they have been uh, and if they are looking at changing managers, Monza would be a good example of why that might not be the worst idea. Uh, they bring in Rafael Palladino. He's a new manager there, 38 years old. He was signed as a player in 2019. He made zero appearances for the club, but then basically went straight into coaching, coached their U15s, took over their, took over their Primavera squad, their U19s. Uh, but with Giovanni Stroppa sacked last week, Palladino now named permanent manager. His first game, a win over Juve, their first of the season, um, and he was aggressive. He used forwards as wingbacks. He pushed uh, up a high line. He went at Juve. He made them uncomfortable. He didn't really see them as this impenetrable machine that will eventually grind you down. I think he sensed vulnerability and went for it, and that, again, is the problem with Juve right now. Teams like Monza feel like they can go at Juve, take the game to them, and make them uncomfortable and ultimately get a win. I would say worrying signs uh, for Juve, although they have weathered worse uh, far more often. So I wouldn't be so <laughs> concerned about them, uh, but still definitely some worrying signs. Indeed. Uh, some worrying signs also, Graham, uh, at Inter Milan, uh, getting a 3-1 yeah. loss at Udinese this weekend. Uh, Udinese going great guns at the moment. Their fifth successive league victory this was. They were briefly top of Serie A on Sunday. Um, what's going on at Inter, Graham? Yeah, so they, they've won um, just three of their last seven matches. And you're right, Allegri's not the only manager under pressure in Serie A right now. So Simeone Inzaghi, he's going to, 
I don't expect he'll lose his job over an international break, but he's certainly going to face some scrutiny before Inter's next game. And Inter at the moment, they just look slow. They're easy to play through. That defence, which obviously was the foundation for so much success under Antonio Conte, just feels like they're losing players in the half space. They're reacting slowly. And a lot of people will point to Lukaku still being out. So obviously that has been a big blow for Inter. They bring him back. He's their marquee signing of the summer. Obviously, he should elevate their level in an attacking sense. But I, I don't think he solves many of the problems that Inter have at this moment in time. And Sunday, here's a little uh, a trivia fact for you. Sunday was actually the first time since 1955 that AC Milan, Juventus, Inter and Roma have all lost on the same day in Serie A. And that kind of illustrates just how those teams, um, not so much AC Milan, of course, but Juventus, Inter and Roma, all kind of suffering problems in the early part of this season. There was some hope about uh, Roma this season, but it doesn't feel like they're really going anywhere quick under Mourinho either but Udinese certainly are they're, 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 they've had a great start to the season they have won five league matches in a row Gerard Delafeo has he's been impressive uh, Destiny Adoji who ha, he's he's on loan at um, Udinese from Spurs he signed for Spurs in the summer and then got loaned back he continues to get better they just have a team with a lot of potential and it wasn't so long ago that they destroyed Roma I think that was two weeks ago so Udinese they might be a team to keep an eye on for if you're looking for a dark horse for a top four finish, then they they have some potential. Oh, very nice. Uh, quick focus on the Roman teams before we leave Italy. Uh, Lazio getting a 4-0 win at Cremonense, bouncing back from a pretty heavy European defeat uh, midweek. And Roma uh, was beaten at the Olimpico 1-0 by Atalanta. I was actually, I was in Tuscany on Sunday and we were driving back into Rome. And on the um, highway signs, the motorway signs, they had signs for Tifosi Atalanta for the Atalanta fans telling them which roads to drive into which I thought was pretty cool I'd never seen anything mm. like that before um, but Atalanta doing very well their joint top well their second uh, won 17 points with Napoli uh, Jose Mourinho Taylor getting sent off after disagreeing with a penalty that wasn't given late Oof. on in this one it's not like him I watched I watched that that clip so many times, <laughs> mostly because he swears in I think four different languages, and it's fascinating <laughs> to see how many curse words he can get out in a good fifteen seconds. But he gets out plenty. Uh, Mourinho, yeah, very frustrated uh, with the officiating. Uh, Atalanta less so in that win, and I would say Atalanta. Another team who I think deserve uh, maybe a bit more attention than we've given them previously uh, because they ha obviously have started very, very well and are a team that even when they do sell some of their best players, find a way to replace them either at cheap or promote somebody else and then they continue to play just as they have been. I think it's a testament to keeping a manager, in this case uh, Gasparini, in charge and sort of letting him cook. Uh, it is also, I didn't realize this until I started looking up their transfer activity to see w what exactly they had done. Maybe it's a sign that the Chelsea loan model isn't the worst thing. I don't know how they're getting away with this. Can either of you guess how many players Atalanta have out on loan right now? Uh, 10. I don't know. Graham says 10. Ryan? 17. Uh, add 30 to that. <laughs> they have 47 players what? out on loan. <laughs> It is insanity. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know if they're all youth products that they then loan out. If they have the giant, the largest youth academy in the world. I'm not quite sure how they're doing it. But 47, by my count, players out on loan. Uh, so maybe that's also what they're doing is they sell a player. They've just got 14 replacements out on loan that they can call back in and make good again. 
Yeah, I, I look forward to when, is it FIFA or UEFA yeah. tightening up those loan rules? I think it might be UEFA. I look forward to when that happens and yeah. seeing how Udinese respond to that. It'll just be like one of those clips. You know, when you see like three professional footballers taking on 200 children, that's going to yes. be at yes. every Atalanta match <laughs> when that happens. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. All right, we, we are running long, but I've got one small anecdote I wanted to share with you. I play Please. soccer on Fridays with my wife's colleague. She works in an international school here in Rome. And one of them showed up who's a Roma season ticket holder. And he showed up in a Napoli shirt this week. And I sort of said to him, oh, you know, Napoli is suddenly good and you're wearing the shirt, are you? And he said, no, um, one of my kids in my class gave it to me as a gift. And he's over there, so I'm wearing it. Uh, and it transpired that the kid in the class was Aurelio De Laurentiis' grandson. Uh, <laughs> so, so he had to wear this Napoli shirt in our game. And then we went to a bar afterwards, and he changed back into his Roma shirt because the owners of the bar would not have tolerated a Napoli shirt in their bar, which I thought was quite amusing. Uh, I mean, I guess Aurelio De Laurentiis tells you to do something, you do it. That's yeah, how it works. Pretty much, yeah. There's a lot of power influence going on in this country in okay. many ways, Tay Tay. I'll, I'll take a free shirt from him yeah. if they're going. I think it was a nice one. It had a number on it. I think it was like a proper game one or something. It, it, it looked good. Anyway, oh, one... Was it one of the 100 shirts that Armani <laughs> made for Napoli? That's, that's actually what happened. They've just got shirts coming out of their ears at Napoli. They're like, just get rid of these. Give these to anyone that'll take them. <laughs> something like that, yeah. They've probably got some spares given that they release a billion kits a year. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Premier League, Bundesliga, MLS and much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Uh, three Premier League games postponed. No Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Leeds or Brighton Palace this weekend. But we did get a lovely treat at Tottenham Stadium, they still need to rename that stadium. Call it White Hart Lane. Come on, guys. Uh, Spurs 6, Leicester 2. Uh, Hongmin Sun getting a 13-minute hat-trick in this one. Coming off the bench, left foot, right foot, and bundle over, I guess we'll call it. No header, unfortunately, for the perfect hat-trick in that one. Um, but after not getting any games, uh, any goals in his first six games of the season, pretty good to see, Graham. Absolutely. And Son is a, a player... I think most people like Son Heung-min, right? He's he's kind oh, yeah. of a likable player. So you put him into that Tottenham team, which the, Tottenham have had a strange season so far in that they're joint top of the Premier League. They I know they lost in the Champions League recently, but nonetheless they've had a good start to the season. But it still feel it still feels like they're playing within themselves a little bit. So this this result was just a sign of what happens when you have one of their world class players all of a sudden performing at the top of his level again, and they score six goals against Leicester. Now, Leicester City, things are going uh, pretty poorly for them at the moment. Uh, they, they've conceded 22 goals after seven games, which I believe is the worst defensive record in Premier League history. 
Um, and I don't think things can continue like this for them much longer. I would be fearful if I was Brendan Rodgers that he's not going to be their manager after the international break. But nonetheless, an impressive performance by Tottenham and uh, good to see Son scoring again. Yeah, a very entertaining game this was as well. A good advert for the Premier League, etc. and so on. Wolves nil, Man City 3. Uh, Mr Grealish, Mr Harland and Mr Foden getting on the score sheet here. Uh, Erling Harland with 14 goals in nine games now. Was this his first one outside the box, guys? I think it might have been, right? Possibly. It might have been. It was the first one that I think he took multiple touches for as yeah. well. So there's three touches for this goal and normally he just needs one for a goal. So come on, Erling, you're slacking. <laughs> Nathan Collins getting a red card for uh, a, a agricultural flying kick on Jack Grealish, <laughs> shall we call it? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, agriculture is one way to describe it, yeah. <laughs> uh, another 3-0 in the league uh, this weekend. Brentford nil, Arsenal 3. Ethan Nweneri, excuse me, uh, 15 years old and 181 days, is the youngest player in Premier Ridiculous. League history. Taylor, there are, there are Premier League players who are playing now who, like, were born in 2007. Is that cool? I don't think that's cool. Nope. No, not cool at all. No. Not cool at all. And not just for the, like, should a 15-year-old be playing professional sports aspect, just because, uh, like I said before, when I heard someone refer to the 1990s as the late 20th century, <laughs> I, I don't need these <laughs> these kind of permanent reminders that, that people continue to be young. I, I don't appreciate that at I all. I can't believe that he is half my age. Like, I, I don't think of myself as that old, but that that makes me feel old. He was born three months before the release of the first iPhone, and James Milner had already played 100 Premier League games by the time that uh, Nwaneri was born. Ridiculous. My knees and back hurt just by you just saying those facts, Graham. That's very depressing. (laughs) Um, Fabio Vieira getting a really good goal for the the third goal in this one. Lovely finish. Nice to see Vieira scoring for Arsenal once again here. Arsenal's next game, by the way. North London derby after the international break. Let's look forward to that one. Looks like the Arsenal banter era might be over. Interesting. Interesting. It'll never be over. Not truly. Not in our hearts, Graham. Not in our hearts at the very least. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nottingham Forest 2, Fulham 3. A Friday night comeback win for Fulham. They got three goals in six minutes here. Uh, Forest, second game in a row where they had a 2-0 lead and did not win. Uh, that happened at Bournemouth as well two weeks ago. Uh, Villa 1, Southampton nil. Villa's second win of the season. A nice Jacob Ramsey goal in this one. Newcastle 1, Bournemouth 1. Eddie Howe facing his former employer here. Um... Yeah, Newcastle's fifth draw of the season. Not much more I want to talk about on that one. Everton won West Ham nil. Anyone got any thoughts on that? Neil Morpay getting a goal, Graham? Yeah, good. Yeah, it was a very nice goal as well. And Martin Tyler said, and that is what Neil Mopé does. And my impression of Neil Mopé is that he misses a lot of chances and doesn't score as many goals as he should. So that's not, that. I don't think that's uh, that's spot on from Martin Tyler. But nonetheless, he, he gives Everton at least some form of attacking presence. It was actually their strength on the defensive side that was most impressive because it kind of passed me by that Everton have the second best defensive record in the Premier League. Right now, they've only conceded six goals in seven games. And I very much like that partnership between Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky. Wow. And Nathan Patterson has given them something different down the right. And that midfield unit of uh, Adrissagana Gay and Awobi and Onana is working well. So Lampard does kind of have a structure now to build around. I have concerns whether they're going to score enough goals. But I have kind of changed my mind now 
um, from the start of the season where I was very much fearful that they might get relegated. I don't think they're going to be that bad this season. Probably not. Let's go to the Bundesliga. Uh, Dortmund 1, Schalke 0 in the Riviera Diary. Diary? Derby? Goodness me. Uh, (laughs) Dortmund won a game and Bayern lost. We'll get to that shortly, but that's an unusual turn of events. Uh, Yusuf Mokoku getting a header to make the difference in this one. At 17 years old, the youngest ever scorer in this derby. Uh, The game marred a little bit by Marco Royce getting a, a nasty ankle injury. I think we're waiting to see uh, the effects of that one. Uh, but Dortmund now have won the last four Rivera derbies in a row. Schalke, Taylor, are a promoted side. So uh, maybe we should expect a little less from them in this rivalry at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it still has that billing of, of two rivals who do not like each other. Their fan bases don't really like each other. Uh, but at the same time, one of those teams, yeah, coming up from uh, being relegated, the other team still being uh, f- very good with a lot of money to spend and a lot of money already spent. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting as close of a game as this ended up being. And I think some of that has to do with the way Dortmund approached this one, continuing to stick with Modeste. I think what we're seeing now is Mukuku uh, maybe justifying a, a few more starts uh, after the international break. And I think Adeyemi returning as well, a very necessary addition because he started so brightly, then got the injury. So very excited to have him back for Dortmund to see what he can do. Graham, um, I don't know if you caught this one, wasn't the highest quality via Derby uh, in a while, I'd say. No, and I think Dortmund are still a work in progress. My, my biggest takeaway from this match, and we've already kind of touched on this with Makuku, but the the partnership between Makuku, or not so much the partnership, just the, the energy and the kind of drive that Dortmund had once they made the changes. We've spoken about Modeste, and he starts this game, and he just... He just doesn't seem like a great fit for this Dortmund team. He's pretty immobile. Um, he doesn't offer a great deal. He kind of gets quite isolated in this team a lot. And so Makuku, who has been spoken about for years and, and is still only 17 years old, I think we're going to see more of him and Adeyemi coming off the bench at the same time. Having the two of them in the attack was like an injection of speed and intensity. And I think that feels more in line with what Dortmund should want to be at the moment. Maybe they want to control games in the future. I don't know if they've got the players to do that. So they should just kind of lean into kind of what we were saying about Real Madrid. They know what they are. I think Dortmund have the players to play this quick transition game and Makuku and Adeyemi allow them to do that. We had a derby in the north there and one of sorts in the south as well. Augsburg won by Munich nil. Goodness me. By Munich with a run of four winless games now. What's going on here, Taylor? Uh, well, it turns out Robert Lewandowski might have been an important goal scorer. I was one to say that I didn't think he would be as big of a miss. It felt like, if anything, he was holding back Nagelsmann, sort of fully implementing his plan. And with players brought in that you would have assumed fit that plan, fit that approach, they would have maybe after a few, a little bit of growing pains, would have found a way to start churning out the results. But thus far, they have not. And it doesn't seem like the happiest times at Bayern. I think I believe the directors in the way they've talked about how Nagelsmann is their guy, how they've invested in him, how they plan to stick with him. I believe that more than maybe some of the other clubs who are saying similar things about their managers. But it's it's not, to be honest, a thing I expected. It felt like Nagelsmann was a slam dunk uh, appointee in my mind. It felt like he had uh, made some good signings or they had made some good signings that were going to better fit his style and his approach. And 
it's just still not really clicking. I think it's clicking more so than like we saw when Nico Kovac took over and it just things were just kind of falling falling apart, not working, nobody on the same page. I wouldn't say it's it's even close to that, but it's it's not really a situation I expected to see. Uh, and especially when you look at this Bayern team that are able to raise their game in the Champions League against Barca, it feels like things are going well there. But then also Lewandowski misses some chances and maybe there could have been uh, a worse result for them. So it makes it hard to know exactly what this team is at this point, aside from a team that gets a lot of possession, gets a lot of shooting opportunities. They had 17 once again, and they didn't score once again, uh, similar to when, uh, was it Jan Sommer who stood on his head to prevent them from scoring yeah. any goals? Hmm. It feels like it's becoming a thing for them, and maybe with the international break, Nagelsmann just gets a reset, but at the very least, he won't be getting that reset at Oktoberfest because he... Uh, said he was not really feeling it, not really up for it. Uh, I'm guessing he will still have to attend, as will some of the players, but it's not maybe the the happy vibes that they were hoping for heading into Oktoberfest when when the season first began. No, they expect to be leading the league at Oktoberfest and all other times, which they Clearly we curse them. That's all there is to it. We did an episode about are they a problem that they're so dominant that no one can compete. It's clearly our fault, or maybe we just have magical powers, depending on We fixed it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's it's our fault or we fixed it, yeah. one or the other. This week, we're doing an episode on our MK Don's too good. We're hoping it has the same effect. <laughs> um, Mamor Neuer uh, going up for a corner in the 95th minute and having yeah. a header on goal was pretty exciting in this one too. You love to see it. You love to see it. Uh, Gladbach 3, Leipzig nil. Leipzig have now lost four of their last five games. That 3-0 win over Dortmund uh, last week being the outlier there. Uh, Leverkusen were held 1-1 to Werder Bremen. And lest we forget, the team at the top of the Bundesliga is still Union Berlin, who got a 2-0 win over Wolfsburg. Um, Jordan Pifok, as we mentioned, Taylor, and uh, Sherado Becker getting the goals here. So Jordan Pifok for Qatar, yay, yay, yay. It, it feels like it's going to be an A, it is kind of the way things seem to be moving. We talked about this on the big thing last week when we broke down the U.S. roster. Uh, Graham, I would love to hear where you are on this one, but for me, for him to have been left off and for Burhalter to talk about, like, he's a more of a known quantity, we, we know what he brings to the team, you can... Spin that as like, we know what he brings. We know what he's going to offer. We don't need to see him because he's going to be in that team. But that seems less likely to me at this point. And the way I think Berhalter has, has spoken about him in some of the questions he's been asked, it, it says to me that he is not on the inside of the squad or in the conversation uh, like the way I was talking about in the big thing that that seems to be the way Berhalter talks about players who have made the team. It seems like maybe Pufok isn't one of those players that he's going to rely upon or doesn't do enough in the system to justify selection. I think there will be much, 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 much debate about that. And maybe, hopefully, I am wrong. Graham, what do you think? It kind of feels that way at the moment that he's not going to be involved, which for me, it's, I'll put it this way. It's, I don't want to go too over the top, but it's not the decision that I would make. I, I understand that a national team should be a team and needs to be about more than just a, a, a group of individuals. But not having him there as an option when he's in this form, I just think obviously there's more nuance to the discussion than this. But I just think it's slightly funny as an outsider um, that the discussion for so long has been okay. We need a number nine who's scoring goals in a top European league, and then like there's there's Jordan Pifok has got six goals and assists to send Union Berlin to the top of the Bundesliga, and Berhalter's like, no, not that one, another one. We need another one. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it'd be frustrating for me if I was a, a USMNT fan. Uh- 
Quick dive into MLS corner. We had the New York City derby this weekend. NYCFC getting a 2-0 win over the New Jersey Red Bulls in this one. Now one point apart in third and fourth in East. Yes, you heard me. Uh, East, the Leeds in East Philadelphia were held 0-0 uh, Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta into Miami and sh- maybe Charlotte FC. All circling around to sneak into the playoff spots at the moment. Uh, into uh, M- Miami. Go. I keep saying Inter like they're into Milan. Into Miami, going into seven. They did it to themselves, so I think you're fine to pronounce it however you want. Yeah, well, they got a 3-2 win at DC United. An evening marred, unfortunately, by an alleged racist comment from a DC United player to an Inter-Miami one. But, Graham, um, a meeting of former Man United players in management positions here. Yeah, and I I watched this one live on Sunday night because, of course, Sky Sports broadcast the MLS match between Phil Neville and, and Wayne Rooney. They didn't really have a choice in in the matter. I'm not convinced the quality of this match was was all that high. Obviously, DC United have had a bad season and Inter-Miami are still a bit unbalanced, but it was un, un entertaining. Obviously, we did, we did have that that um, negative talking point in the second half, which is obviously a dominant talking point, and uh, we await to see what punishments will be handed out after that. Um, but Benteke scores his first MLS goal, Campania scores twice, and then Gonzalo Higuain, a.k.a. Taylor Rockwell and Matt Doyle's other sibling, scored a, top, a stoppage time winner. <laughs> I have hair and now. That, I have hair that, now. <laughs> <laughs> that goal pulled Inter-Miami up into the playoff places in, in the East, which, if they can make that stick, I think that's a genuine achievement, given where they started at the start of the year. And I don't think many people thought they would be anywhere near that level. I have hair now, I have hair now, which is also something Wayne Rooney once said, I believe, Peter. <laughs> we shall see. Um, so, so let's see with a slim chance in the playoffs, as I mentioned, keeping the dream slightly alive as Soldier Field, down 2-0 with about 20 minutes left and 1-3-2. Love to see it. In the West, LAFC remain top with a 3-1 win over Houston. Uh, LA Galaxy getting a 4-1 win over Colorado, keeping their playoff dream very much alive too. Uh, Three assists from Ricky Pooge in that one, and a nice back heel finish from he's good. Too. He's rather good at the soccer, isn't he, Graham? Yeah, he is, it's, and he's and he's made a, a pretty instant impact for the LA Galaxy. I, I find my, myself um, specifically looking for his highlights because I enjoy watching him play so much. Indeed, that one was a good performance from him once again. And we had a draw between Austin and Nashville, the two newest franchises in the west i think i'm gonna call them they're riding high as well good for them uh any other business section brings me to the san diego san diego wave uh at snapdragon stadium which is an awesome stadium name they set an nwsl record this weekend for attendance more than thirty-two thousand fans watching their one nil win over uh angel city good stuff there um PSV 4 Final 3 as well was a pretty cracking game in Holland this weekend. I wanted to give a shout out to not a derby, but a big game. Uh, a nice 83rd minute winner in that one. And Graham, one other thing I wanted to um, bring your attention to, Celtic losing 2-0 at St Mirren, their first league defeat yeah. in a year. Uh, the fans chanting, if you hate the royal family, clap your hands. Uh, and they had a banner holding up the same thing during a minute's applause for the Queen. So, huh. Indeed, and that and that has been a talking point in Scottish football, as you would imagine. Um, Celtic losing their unbeaten run here after 364 days. That would be so frustrating if you if you fell short by a, of a full year by one day. I would be furious if that was me. Well, yep, not great. Uh, anything else, Graham? Start the WLC, WSL season as well, right? 
Yeah, and um, I wanted to mention this because we we maybe should have mentioned this last weekend when we were talking about the postponements due to the the death of the Queen in the UK, and this was actually the biggest impact of those postponements. Postponements because last weekend was going to be this landmark moment for the WSL. There was going to be record crowds across the league. A number of the teams were going to play in the men's stadiums, and 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 this was the Euro twenty twenty two knock on, of course, where England won that tournament, and then. All the games got, games got postponed and that momentum is lost. Chelsea were meant to be playing at Stamford Bridge. They don't then play. Um, I don't think that game's been rearranged at Stamford Bridge or they're trying to find a date to, to fit it into the schedule. And frankly, it's just unbelievable timing. Um, but nonetheless, we got some fantastic games on the opening weekend when it actually did happen. Two notable results in particular. So Liverpool beat Chelsea. This was a real shock result. So Liverpool are newly promoted to the WSL. And Chelsea were in total control for much of this this match. But the second goal never came for Chelsea. And they made two errors and they lost 2-1 in the end. And this might actually be the biggest shock of the entire season in the WSL. Because as I say, that's the your, your dominant team versus promoted team. And Liverpool get the win. And then there was also a thriller between Villa and City that finished 4-3. Rachel Daly scored twice in her first WSL match since returning from Houston. City had most, most of the ball, as you might imagine. But both teams looked dangerous. Villa get the win. And the other reason the timing has been terrible for the WSL is that the highlights in the live games have either been cancelled or pushed back to stupid times because of what's happening in the UK right now. I just I just can't quite believe that after all that talk after Euro 2022 about you know a, a sea change in English football and it might still turn out to be a sea change that the, the the timing has been so unfortunate with what's happened over the last couple of weeks and I just hope they can get that momentum back. All right, weekend. Consider yourself reviewed. Cast. Consider yourself podded. We are done here. Taylor Rockwell, <laughs> thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And listener, thank you so much for joining us on this intrepid journey. We love you very much. We'll be back on the feed very soon. But for now, bye. Bye.